According to Mark, in verse 27 of that passage, Jesus said to the Greek woman from Syrian Phoenicia, first let the children eat all they want, for it is not right to take the children's bread and toss it to the dogs. One of the deeply disturbing but not entirely unpredictable consequences of the Brexit vote has been the sharp increase in hate crimes or racially motivated attacks on people living in this country, particularly people whose ethnic background appears not to be from these islands, even though it may well be the case. So alarming was this situation that the Methodist Conference meeting in this very room shortly after the Brexit vote passed a unanimous resolution condemning such attacks and urging all Methodists to write to their MP about the situation. Those of you who attend here regularly may recall the letter that was re reproduced from the Secretary of Conference a few weeks ago. And I hope that you have acted upon that letter. Racial superiority and discrimination against those of other races is, of course, nothing new. Sadly, it is an age-old division within humanity. From this incident recorded in this evening's Gospel reading, Jesus himself has been accused of racial superiority in elevating the needs of his own people, the Jews, above those of others of Gentile or non-Jewish nationality. In using the term dogs, a common Jewish way of referring disparagingly to Gentiles, Jesus has been branded insulting and racist. It's been argued that the woman's dignified response to this racial put-down caused Jesus to have a change of heart and heal the woman's daughter. Now, I have to say that I am not entirely convinced by this line of argument. Yes, these words are quoted on the lips of Jesus, but I suspect those words are not reflecting so much Jesus' own personal feelings as if he's making a personal statement on the matter. But to me, it seems rather as if Jesus might be quoting to the woman the kind of comment that any Jew would make to her in that kind of situation. It may well have been a kind of stock phrase or saying, just as we have sayings like, charity begins at home, which we might articulate, but not necessarily mean on a personal basis. What I believe is happening here is that Jesus is testing this woman out to gauge her response. He's seeking, I think, to tease out from her a response of faith. 
I come to this conclusion because I think of a similar incident where Jesus met a Samaritan woman at Jacob's well in Sychar, recorded in John's Gospel, chapter 4. Again, on this occasion, it was a rather presumptuous and even outrageous request that Jesus made to the woman, as the Samaritan woman herself observes, picking Jesus up on the almost unprecedented nature of his request of her to give him a drink. You are a Jew, and I am a Samaritan woman, she said. How can you ask me for a drink? And for those readers or hearers who might not understand the situation, John explains in parenthesis that Jews and Samaritans do not share drinking vessels in common. If Jesus is testing the Syrophoenician woman out here to draw from her a response, then I believe his approach hits the nail on the head. Like the woman at the well, she isn't cowed or deterred by Jesus' provocative statement, but in reply indicates that though the Jews, the so-called children in the saying, may take precedence over the Gentiles, the so-called dogs in the saying, there is nonetheless a place for them, the dogs, the Gentiles, in the providence of God, even if it's only eating the children's crumbs under the table. Hearing this, Jesus says that for such a reply, she may go, as her daughter is already healed. I believe Jesus finds the faith he's looking for in the woman's response. It isn't the conventional response that a Jew would give, a conventional faith response, but it's a response of faith from a human being who is open and courageous enough and undoubtedly desperate enough to ask, even to beg, a Jewish rabbi to heal her daughter. Not surprisingly, on returning home, she finds the demon has left her daughter. But as well as drawing on the text here itself, I want to point out to you the context of this story, to demonstrate that I believe that far from being unwilling, actually, to heal this woman's daughter, Jesus was very open to healing her. In Mark's Gospel, at the end of chapter 6, Mark gives us a summary of Jesus' healing ministry around the region of Gennesaret, You'll find it in verses 53 to 56 of chapter 6. Our passage tonight begins at verse 24 in chapter 7. And it starts with the words, Jesus left that place and went to the vicinity of Tyre. Now, no other place has been mentioned in the gospel since Genesaret at the end of chapter 6. So it's reasonable to assume that when Mark refers to that place in verse 24, he's actually 
referring to Gennesaret, as though somehow the story of the healing of this Greek, Syrian, Phoenician woman's daughter was all of a part of that summary of healing at the end of chapter 6. But what Mark's done is to split it apart and to put in between 23 verses which are of a discussion of exchanges between Jesus and the Pharisees. Now, why would Mark do that? Why would Mark split out this material about healing ministry to put in there something quite, quite different about he and the Jews discussing issues like food laws and ritual washing? Well, I think it bears direct relevance to our story tonight. For the Pharisees, ritual washing as well as food laws were a very important expression of holiness and the observance of God's laws. The Pharisees believed that it was through the keeping of such laws that people became holy and it was in this way that God's favor would come upon his people and that in the end, the Messiah would return. Now, across this discussion about ritual washing and food laws, Jesus makes a very general point. He makes the point that you don't become unclean or defiled by what goes into you, by the kinds of foods that you eat. You only become defiled or unclean by what comes out of you. So, in verses 21 and 23 of chapter 7, the verses immediately preceding tonight's passage, we have these words of Jesus. For from within come evil thoughts, sexual immorality, theft, murder, adultery, greed, malice, deceit, lewdness, envy, slander, arrogance, and folly. All these evils come from within and they defile a person. In other words, Jesus is saying, you're not defiled because you haven't washed the copper kettle properly. You're not defiled because you might have eaten a prohibited food by mistake. But you are defiled by what comes out of your heart and out of your mouth. Now, the Greek woman from Syrian Phoenicia was certainly a defiled person. She was unclean and impure, not because of anything she had done or failed to do, but simply by an accident of birth. She was not of Jewish descent. She was a Gentile. So, she wasn't a child of God. She was therefore unclean. She was defiled. Jesus raises this issue about race, but he does so, I think, actually, to dismiss it, to indicate to the woman that this is no consequence, that this will not stand in the way of his healing her daughter. And this is consistent with the approach that we see from Jesus elsewhere in the Gospels. We've already mentioned 
about the Samaritan woman at Jacob's well. There, Jesus breaks all kinds of barriers in the conversation that he has with that woman. He breaks down barriers of religion, barriers of race, barriers of social propriety, and all the barriers about what is clean and what is unclean, what is defiled and undefiled. You've only got to go back a chapter or two in Mark's gospel, and you'll see there Jesus deliberately putting himself in situations where he is defiling himself. In chapter 5, a woman with hemorrhages who's been bleeding for 18 years reaches out to him surreptitiously in the crowd, touches the hem of his garment, and is healed. But Jesus knows that power has gone from him. Yet far from scolding this woman, who has by her touch of his garment defiled him, he commends her for her faith. Jesus was on the way to heal the daughter of Jairus, the synagogue leader. He's told that the girl has died, so there's no point in his coming. But Jesus goes to the house, and he deliberately reaches out and touches the dead girl's body, which in itself was an act of defilement. Again, in chapter 5, Jesus heals a man called Legion, who Mark says had many demons, a man living perhaps with huge mental problems, we would say today, in the tombs around Gadara. Not to mention all those occasions when Jesus ate and socialized with tax collectors and sinners, a point that didn't go unnoticed by the fastidious Pharisees. Jesus does not allow these barriers to stand in the way of the purposes of God's kingdom. Jesus does not allow them to prevent him bringing through compassion, healing and wholeness into people's lives. And I don't believe he did so either with this Syrian Phoenician woman. So from this incident of healing in Mark's gospel, I want to draw out two points that I believe apply to us in the context of this healing service. The first is by way of a kind of theological statement. The second is a word of encouragement. Firstly, the theological statement bit. What I think it's saying to us is it isn't the externals, but it's the internals that matter to God. It isn't what's on the outside, but it's on what's on the inside that God's really concerned about. The outward characteristics of our lives like background, education, job, race, skin color, creed, these are not the things that God deems to be most important about us, even though others in our culture may set huge store by them. No, what matters most to God are the things that can't be seen, except by God and ourselves. The secret inner workings of our hearts, the motives, desires, and passions that fuel our behavior and shape our character. As Jesus made clear, that's what defiles us before God. Those things that when they're wrong, make our wills to be completely out of line with the will and purpose of God for our lives. 
So in seeking God's healing, let's not neglect what's going on deep inside us. Let's not be so concerned about the outward things that need healing that we overlook the inner things that need healing deep within. The things that God needs to cleanse and purify in our hearts. For often it's there, deep down in our hearts at the core of our being, that God's greatest work of healing in us is done. Jesus maintained that it wasn't enough simply to be sound of mind and body. Not, he said, if your hearts are full of wrong things and in need of cleansing and renewing. The second thing, the word of encouragement is this. Tonight, if you have come here for healing, if you've come here in need, if you've come here seeking to meet with God in some way for God to address the things that are going on in your life at the moment, then let me say to you quite simply, go for it. Follow the, the example of the Greek woman from Syrian Phoenicia. She would not allow anything, not even the huge barrier of race, to stand in the way of her coming to Jesus and saying, heal my daughter. And don't let anything in your life be an obstacle that stands in the way of you coming to God and saying, Lord, I need your healing. Because so often the obstacles that are in the way are the obstacles that are deep within. The sense of unworthiness that we feel. The idea that God won't be interested in my problem. The suggestion that God's got too many more important things to do than to be bothered with what's wrong with me. God cares deeply for each and every one of you. And he cares deeply for the small things in your life as well as the big things in your life. So come tonight. Come and ask God for what you need, whatever that may be in terms of healing in body, mind, and spirit. And if you want to come simply to say to God, Lord, my heart isn't right with you. I need to be renewed. I need to be cleansed. I need to be purified. I need to be made whole. Then simply come and ask God to do that. And he will begin that work of healing within you. So let's come now, in this moment, before God in prayer, to ask for the healing that we need and to reflect on what we want God to cleanse and purify from deep within our hearts. Let's pray. Lord, we come to you. We come to you because we recognize your need, our need of you. And that recognition is in itself a prompting of grace, a prompting of your spirit that we might turn to you, that we might seek the love that you want to give to us, that we might ask for the healing that you are so ready to give to us 
in body, mind, and spirit. That healing that leads to fullness and wholeness of life. Lord, already tonight, we've heard that in Jesus, all our sins are forgiven. So, Lord, help us to come, knowing that nothing should stand in the way of asking you for all that you want to give to us by your grace this night. And help us to come with hearts and lives open to receive all that you want to give to us. For we ask it in the name of Jesus. Amen. So we stand to 